Speaking of faith out in the world, we are in the midst of our Finding God in Art series where we look through something that I think is meaningful. Uh, this year it's, uh, well last week it was AI. Uh, this, this next few it's going to be a combination of TV shows and music. Um, so today it is Succession. So whether or not you've seen Succession, I wanted to give you a, uh, the trailer just to watch, just so you can get a, a sense of what it's about. And then we're going to come up and, and talk about it. So please enjoy the Succession trailer, and let's hear it nice and loud. Why does everyone ask? Logan, Logan, Logan. So that, that was just a piece of Succession. If you've never seen it before, then it doesn't really matter the context of everything you just saw, because that's what it is, basically. It's arguing, finger-pointing, scheming. I'm with Dad, I'm against Dad. It's the story of of Logan Roy, and he's at the center of the story. He's a media billionaire. He is willing, he's, he's going to pass everything along, but he's hampered by the fact that he's a boomer, and boomers don't really know how to pass things along, so he's holding on to power a little bit too long. He's unwilling to let it go. He's got four kids, three of whom are competing for the, for the brass wings, so you saw all three of them there, and, and they're scheming, and uh, it's uh, four, shows of the, four seasons of this that concludes, spoiler alert, is it too soon? It's, it was in March. It doesn't matter though because it's not, the, it's not the kind of show where it matters who wins, who inherits this empire, because as the show goes on, it, it shows more and more the, the fact that it's not really worth winning anyway, and that probably... The character you're cheering for to win is better off not winning because the nature of that kind of power and that kind of wealth is, is so corrosive. It's a story, as you could see, the different backdrops, the, the private jets, the limousines. It's set against the most exclusive places in the world where only the wealthiest have access to. And it's people who are completely miserable as they go from scene to scene. It's, it's basically the curse of having everything in the world except for the capacity to enjoy any of it. It's all rendered meaningless in the show because there is nothing more for them to, to wish for. It's, and it's also, by the way, uh, about the damage they do to our democracy and our economy through their egos. It's also very funny, uh, which may not... Sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I'm selling it to you, well, it's definitely not a show for everyone. The, the dialogue is, is very coarse. The, uh, but more than that, there, there's, there's just there's no redeeming characters in the show. There's no, there's no character that you can truly cheer for because they're all so lacking of character or humanity. Uh, have I sold you, Jeff? Yeah, you're going to... I watched the first three seasons and I watched Yeah. Yeah, you hate, you hate everybody, you know? And, they're, they're, you, and you begin to hate their pursuit. Like, it's just, they, keep, they keep saying, I want my pile, like this pile of money, which I imagine they picture like Scrooge McDuck is this place where they can like dive into and swim around in. Um, but every, this is how I'd say the show. This is how I'd categorize the show. It's not a nihilistic show, but every character is nihilistic. You or the viewer are the only moral compass of the show. You're the one, hopefully, who is seeing something portrayed accurately on the screen, saying, ew, like the whole time as they pursue their things. I think the writers bank on the integrity of those watching to say, yeah, I don't want anything portrayed on the screen right now. It's nothing matters except for power. There's no redemption. 
the one spoiler I'll say, there is no redemption because this is a show that does not have categories for grace, redemption, coming back. Um, the, the only moral compass, hopefully, in the, in the show is you, the viewer. Um, and in the end, they have everything. They, they start the show with having everything. They gain more throughout the course of the show, and even as it goes on, they find themselves more and more miserable. Because, can you hear the transition coming? because none of them read the book of Ecclesiastes. Let me read for you <laughs> the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors by which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they go again. All things are wearisome, more than one can ever say. The eye never has enough seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. This is the word of the Lord, and it ends a lot like the book, the, the show's succession ends. It's written by somebody who identifies himself as the beginning as Quahola, which means teacher or assembler. It's somebody who gathers together people for the purpose of teaching and instruction. It's traditionally been uh, ascribed to, to Solomon. I, in my research, read the reasons why some of the, there's good reasons to believe it was written after Solomon. For those interested, I think there was the writing of the Solomon that survived that was later edited, which is what I just read. If you want to hear more about that, then let's get a cup of coffee. This isn't really the space for higher biblical criticism. I believe and, and that this is written with the authority of Solomon. And it's interesting as you're reading this, knowing Solomon wrote it, knowing some of his other works, you know some of the, Solomon's other works? The book of Proverbs, Song of Solomon, yeah, another great one. So you've got his other two books. One is a, is a love poem uh, of true love, which is kind of offset by the fact that I think he had a thousand wives and concubines, which is a little bit upsetting to read a love poem by somebody that had that kind of, um, you know, you know, it's like listening to a love song from, I don't know, Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> Shots fired across the front row. <laughs> or the book of Proverbs. I do not. I'm unfamiliar with their work. The, or the, the book of the book of Proverbs, if you read the book of Proverbs, it, you, know, you read it as, you know, in some ways it's easy to read as, do this and you'll get that. It's interesting, when you read the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes, I see it as what you write as at the end of your undergrad education, when you have everything figured out, and what you write at the end of your life when you realize how empty some of these promises were, uh, some of these it's just, it's the wisdom of youth versus the wisdom of the non-youth. The wisdom earned 
through a life well lived and age through there. Um, this passage, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, it's not really popular with the cross-stitching community. Um, it reads, I, I, was trying to, I was trying to read it through the lens of like 2000 emo, you know, like, everything is meaningless. I can't do an emo voice. Everything is meaningless underneath the sun. I don't know. I don't know. I did next door, I, I decided to contextualize it and do 60s folk music and did like a very convincing Bob Dylan impersonation. No, I can't do it. I lost it. I am not. I'm really. Everything comes back to Creed. Uh, my, my point, if I indeed have one, is that this passage sounds really nihilistic or pessimistic. Like, nobody wants to read and be edified by, I thought I came to church to be encouraged, and everything is meaningless? Like, what's this pastor talking about? But I think what I've found through this, that was Jim Gaffigan, actually. That was the Jim Gaffigan's thing. So we got it, John. Back to the sermon. Back to your notes. Uh, that um, this is actually a hopeful passage if you realize that the, the writer, Solomon, is naming something that we all feel. The sense that most of what we pursue and most of what life seems to be about at its core feels empty and meaningless. That there, is, there has to be a better way. And part of what I'll end on is, is what Solomon didn't know, which is the life of Jesus. So I think he brings another perspective to this that I'm going to hold till the end. So let's talk about Solomon. He was a king, which means he could command armies at, that he could send armies off to battle, which he did. He, he was known for his many building projects, including the very temple, uh, the, the, the temple uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, he built those. He could have any woman that sparked his eye, which he also did in um, great measure. He had unimaginable wealth, power, prestige. He was king of Israel after his father David in what is considered to be the golden age of Israel. And he was the king. He was the wisest person that ever lived. There was the Queen of Sheba, heard about his wisdom, traveled at a great distance to see if he really was as smart as, as people said he was, and he left saying, yes, he was indeed as smart as a person that we've ever seen, that he's the greatest, smartest person that has ever lived, that he had everything the world offered him at, at the time. He didn't have things like modern plumbing, modern medicine, dentistry, the ability to travel great distances on, on airplanes. Um, there's, there's a lot we have that he didn't, which I want to just put a pin in that. Ask yourself, would I trade places with Solomon? Would I sacrifice the comforts that I enjoy for the comforts he enjoyed? Um, this passage is circular. And in fact, one of the things that he's writing about is the systems in this world that seem to be headed someplace take us right back to the beginning. And he uses, uh, to start with, some natural phenomenon, winds. The winds blowing, uh, from the, blowing eastward and then coming back so that they return back to where they were. There's no end to the, wind, the winds blowing. He talks about the rivers flowing into the sea. He says the, the rivers flow into the sea. The sea is never full. There's, there's a system in place that takes the water down through a river into a sea that goes back up in there by the process we call Evaporation, condensation, what's the third one? Precipitation, Precipitation thank you. You pass. Uh, 
And so there's these systems in space. The sun rises and, and re returns the next day and the other side where it goes. It's images of motion without change. So just hold on to that, that tension. Motion without change. And he writes about the natural systems that go and, and, then, and then brings it to the reality that we all live under the same sun. Solomon and you experience the same sun, wind, water. The same systems that were in place in his day, some 26, 2700 years ago, you experience. There's something humbling, there's something beautiful about that. I was on my roof last night with my three younger kids watching the meteor shower, and there's this meteor that went across the sky that like drew this line, and then the tail disappeared. It was, the, it was like three seconds. It was really, like to hear your seven-year-old gasp at something they witnessed is, is really beautiful. And there's something about the systems of the world haven't changed, that Solomon's right. These, these systems are still in place day after day, year after year. There's something about the stability, the predictability. None of you went to bed last night wondering if the sun would rise or if the oceans, well, I guess we are worried about the oceans overflowing right now, but that's a different, that's a different system that has been changed that we, um, he didn't know of back then. But the, I, the reality is, um, I really need to be more disciplined and sticking to my notes. I can't just say everything that pops <laughs> on my head. Um, but, the, but he's describing systems that pre-exist us and will exist after us. And he writes about this movement without change, all this motion, things returning back to stability again, and says, you know, all of life is like that. It's not just the wind, the sun, and the waters. There's something about our lives that come and go. There's people that rise up, they're geniuses, there's innovation, then they are forgotten and somebody else knew and, and rediscovers what they discovered. And, and as Solomon looks back, he, he can't look very far back because 99.9% of the generation before him is forgotten, just like us. That when we look backwards, there's, there's a few people and a few names that are in history, but you can always say that person is like that person. This person is like that person. There's nothing truly new. And the, the, the people that are remembered and why they're remembered is seemingly arbitrary and the exception to the rule is the rule is you will be forgotten. And you'll be forgotten sooner than we like to realize. That, that all of life is Ultimately, everything we can do, all the ways that we try to hold on to this life to make a difference, to make a change, in the end, Solomon says, it is all meaningless. It's futile. You may as well try to stop the wind, stop the sun, or stop the ocean, or stop the rivers from flowing. It is already in place. Everything done has already been done again. The way you're trying to make a name, somebody else already made a name for themselves. Everything is our copies of copies. It's all meaningless. The ocean's never full. The wind never stops. The sun always comes up. You'll be forgotten. It's all part of a reality to accept life as a repeating cycle. And the, and the word he uses to describe this is a word that you probably used already this morning when somebody asked how you're doing. He's, the word he chose is wearisome. And you may have said tired. I would say tired. Wearisome just feels a little dramatic for me to say. How are you? Like, I am weary. You're weary, um, but I'm tired, is, is the way we usually put it. And he says, all these things are wearisome, more than one can say. He is, it's like he's describing running on a treadmill. You put all this energy, you do all this running, and you step off the treadmill, 
right where you started. And all that's changed is you've just ex expended a bunch of energy. That's great when you're working out. Not so great when you're trying to live a life of meaning and, and purpose. Uh, all of life is exhausting. There's no progress, no change. The amount of work we put into life and what we, the reward we receive from it don't seem like a good match. It seems like we give more than receive in this life. Whatever area you're thinking of, tend to, if you think about it, the weight of what I give and what I get, the, the amount of motion and the amount of change, these things almost seem completely unmoored and disconnected from each other. All our work seems to be meaningless, broken promise, um, like adding buckets to the ocean. I remember if you did as a child, pouring water into the ocean, thinking I'm going to fill it up. It's going to overflow now. And finding there's no stopping the wind, there's no prolonging the day, that these systems go on independent of us. They will continue after we're forgotten. All of life at its core seems meaningless. And to try to hold on to it is like grabbing a handful of sand as hard as you can and then opening your hand and seeing it empty. Just a little bit, a few grains here and there. Everything is meaningless and exhausting. Now, more good news, thank you. Um, Solomon did this and experienced everything life had to offer without modern plumbing. If you've ever been someplace without modern plumbing, you know what I'm talking about. And it, it could just be at a campground where you're like, oh, flushing toilets. It's, it's what we miss when we go camping is our shower, our Everything the bathroom offers, I'll just say that, because I won't get too crass this morning. All the, all the, the privacy and all the cleanliness, and, uh, and then your bed, and the comforts of your bed. Uh, the, we travel. Uh, I, I can guarantee you, even if you've never been on an airplane, you've traveled more than Solomon ever did. That the, the ability to go outside of a, ten, a five, ten-mile circle, and, it's, and to go to the beach, like to live in a place, and... and you know, one of the great things about Redlands, we always say, is out of the beach, out of the mountains, out of the desert. That is legitimately awesome to be an hour from all those places and to be able to experience those places. I went with my boys and, and Winnie, no, just my boys, because Winnie was at a, a birthday party, uh, went off-roading yesterday and saw all these waterfalls. This is a half hour from my house right now. These places that would, would have taken three days is just an experience we had on a lark in the afternoon. Um, we have modern medicine. My daughter had a big surgery on Friday to continue a second surgery on her ankle to repair a broken bone from a year ago. And as painful as that was, just think about a hospital, a trained surgeon that specializes in that bone. She, she, he specializes on that bone he broke. Uh, and the anesthesia and the pain control right now, you just think if... In the old days, in Solomon's day, if you broke your ankle, you were fundamentally crippled the rest of your life. There, there, was no, there was no way for that bone to heal. Now she's got all this access, we have all this access to, to modern medicine. And, and as I was preparing my sermon, I, I asked myself, do I live a more comfortable life than Solomon did? And I, I think objectively the answer is actually yes. Think about the access to, to you know, Solomon, the wisest person that ever lived, would be beaten in a trivia contest. Well, that's not fair, trivia contest. But the, the point is that uh, uh, you know, a fifth grader with Google has access to, to all the information in the world. Um, that the, the ability to, to, to travel, to have these experiences, to, as I was going through it, as wealthy 
as powerful uh, and as wise as he was, you know, our lives are pretty good. And in fact, you could say, I think you could say that the, the lifestyle and, and life that we enjoy as, as predominantly somewhere in the middle class Americans in the 21st century is more comfortable and prosperous than the greatest person that lived 2,700 years ago. That there are things we have access to, short of commanding armies, but to still, which thank, I don't want that to, on here too, but everything as far as comfort, enjoyment of wealth, the ability to experience the, the, the good things of this, of this world, the ability to, as somebody who loves music, to just listen to the, the I have in my pocket the, a library of all the, the music that's been recorded that I can queue up and listen to right now. Just go through it, check by check, the healthcare, the entertainment, the travel, the, our lives are objectively better than Solomon experienced. So if he, here's my point, if he experienced the meaningless of existence, how much more so with us? How much more so is, is that not what succession is showing us to some days? The, the, the way that excess, the kind of life that it leads to. So the Koholeth, the, the teacher, has something to teach us about life and the kind of life that is meaningful. And what he says is meaningless is not life itself. It's life under the sun. That's the phrase he uses to say, what I'm talking about here is life under the sun. What it means, and, and, and to think through what it means, what he meant by life under the sun. Because he says that life is meaningless. And what he's talking about is the allure of wealth, power, freedom, in relationships without accountability, that everything you can think of, what you want in this world to grab and hold on to. He says, be careful, because it's all meaningless. The same place that creates the wind, the sun, and the water flow, that end, these endless repetitive cycles, if you enter into that looking for meaning, you're going to find yourself exhausted running on a treadmill, because it doesn't lead you anywhere. It, doesn't, it only makes promises that it breaks. And he says, by the way, I'm naming something you know deep down is true. This isn't some revelation. Those at the top all say it is all meaningless. It's all, um, which is why, weird why they hold so tightly onto it. But uh, maybe I should say we hold so tightly onto it. So what he's arguing for, and what I think that this, this book opens us up to, is the possibility of life coming to us from somewhere else. That if we're bound by the physical world, life under the sun, then meaning must come to us from another place. Um, and that, which is why I want to end this sermon with the words of Jesus. That after, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is his Sermon on the Mount, and right in the middle of it, he talks about how you give, how you fast, how you pray. So these are all the ways that we do kind of religious activities, you know, giving to support those in need, to, to fast, you know, all the ways that we learn to deny our, our natural hungers, to, to cultivate a hunger for something deeper. Prayer, the way we come before God and present our needs uh, before him. And, and that's where he says, when you come to God, know that he is for you. He knows your, your interests, your, what you need more than anything else, and he will take care of you. And what Jesus is contrasting is life under the sun versus life in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus announced, was there's a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, that is not 
bound by life under the sun, but the good news Jesus tells us, but includes the joys of this world. So that it's not like we need to completely become monks and forsake, and even though some, some level of that probably be helpful for us. But what Jesus is saying, do not worry about your life, how you'll dress, trust God, and these things will be added. In fact, let me just read what he says. He says in Matthew 6, 33 through 34, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And I almost read this at the end of meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And as you, worry, if you, as you watch Succession, there is one theme through the, the whole series that could be summarized as worrying about tomorrow. Worrying about my place, worrying about my standing, worrying about what the, what the future holds for me. And Jesus is connecting pursuit of life under the sun to worry, to fear, to the, to the recognition that, that things disappear as quickly as they come, that there's a scarcity of the resources in the world. There's only so much to go around uh, in the pursuit of those things. And, and Koholeth Solomon says it's all empty. None of it's worth your soul. None of it keeps its promises. It's all meaningless. It's all exhausting. And Jesus says, come to me, those who are exhausted. Learn a better way of being. God is not bound by the sun. Life under the sun is in contrast to life with God. And the life that Jesus offers is meaningful, deeply good, and can allow us to enjoy the good things of this world as a gift from God, rather than something that we can use to serve our needs in this endless hunger we have. It is a life that includes, but is not bound by, the pleasures of this world. It transcends those pleasures, but it also includes those good pleasures, the relationships, beauty, comfort, enjoyment, being gra grateful to live in a time of indoor plumbing and modern medicine, um, to be grateful for those things. But it's bigger than those. It's big enough to include those things so that we can say, yes, everything under the sun is meaningless. But life under God's care is good and it's beautiful. So if you want that meaning, if you want to seek to learn to seek first the kingdom of God, come to the table and receive it from Jesus this morning. For he is gentle, he is humble of heart, and wants to give a, us his life, his joy. So come with open hands to receive the bread and the cup this morning. Receive his life and his return to your seat. Consider his words, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. May we learn to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to the table this morning. We come grateful that there are two ways, a wide path and a narrow path. We thank you that Jesus came to show us the narrow path, to show us how to enter into your kingdom. Lord, so may we, on the one hand, agree with Solomon that all is meaningless, while also agreeing with Christ that all that life is good and beautiful when we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Give us the mercy and the grace and power we do that. We ask in his name. Amen. Would you come to the table?